With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. HN Podcast, I'm John Miller, along with Steve Dace. We now have actual real football games to talk about. Iowa 38, Miami 14 in Kinnick Stadium. First ever night game for an opener for Iowa, and uh, it was not quite ready for primetime when it began relative to Iowa's play in the first half. It, it, it was ragged. It, it, they, they left quite a bit out there. They didn't look great offensively. Um, defensively, they looked okay. But in the second half, Iowa puts up 170 yards in that third quarter. They looked really, really crisp, made some good adjustments on both sides of the ball. I thought, obviously, I talked about it for 20 minutes on Saturday relative to the Instant Reaction podcast. I have some more thoughts. But, Steve, what were your thoughts from this uh, season opener for Iowa? Well, when you're dealing with a season opener, I always think you've got to put the opponent in context. Um, I think it's a down year overall in the MAC. Miami, though, was picked second by the, the writers in the MAC in their division behind Ohio University, who is kind of the prohibitive MAC favorite heading into this season under Frank Solich, who's been there for 15 years now, if you can believe that. Wow. So it's an overall down year in the MAC, but this was considered to be one of their better teams. Um, it's, it's considered to be a far better opponent than Ball State that Indiana played, who's picked fifth uh, in the other uh, division. Uh, certainly a better opponent than what Maryland played in Howard, who wasn't even ranked one of the 10 best historically black college teams last year when Prairie View A&M, who was five and six, was. You know, so you're going to get much more out of playing them uh, than you will out of playing Idaho, like Penn State did. And now seven of its last 13 games since it switched to FCS, Idaho has given up 46 points or more to either FBS or FCS opponents. So, I really don't know what Mike – now, Mike Loxley needs a win. If you look at his coaching record, he needs a Martin Gray slut buster when you come in with a 3-31 and 31, uh, you know, slate at your alma mater. Um, I don't know what James Franklin learned about his team playing Idaho over the weekend. They were horrible. They were horrible. Idaho's terrible. So, if you're, if you're Kirk Ferentz, you're going to learn a lot more here. Um, and, and you've got a coach at Miami of Ohio who's been – who's a veteran coach – in college football. Chuck Martin's been around for a long time, including at Notre Dame. So who knows how good the players are, but you know that they're going to get, from a college perspective, professional-level coaching. So um, I think Iowa gets much more out of this game than several other teams in the Big Ten got got out of their opener, like the, the specific examples we just cited. And, you know, when you look at opening weeks, it's one of the more... Um, I, I would say promising is maybe the word I would use. One of the more promising box scores that I can recall in an Iowa season opening game like this, uh, when you start talking about, uh, I think you had the stat, 20 targets to the wide receivers, uh, rushed for well over 200 yards. You know, Iowa's defense, particularly against opponents that, that athletically can't create their own 
they're going to bottleneck all of those teams defensively, regardless of the personnel. And the statistics bore that out as well. You know, I'm not really big on the NCAA's pass efficiency score because I think it's pretty, uh, pretty lax. So I like going by the QBR, like what they have in the NFL. And so if you go by a QBR in the NFL, you know, Nate Stanley's QBR in the game, I want to say is about 79 out of 100. That's, that's pretty good. Um, and especially for a guy whose accuracy and the like had looked erratic in, in a few public displays, um, you know, throughout the course of the offseason, and, and whose consistency has been an issue and ball placement has been an issue for him at times. So, um, I, I, you know, this is one of the few programs in the Big Ten this opening weekend that I, I don't know what the coaching staff yells at the team about this week. I mean, even Ohio State – you know, they had an incredible first quarter where they get up to 180 to three and they don't commit a penalty in a quarter for the first time since 1944. And then they didn't score for like two quarters after that and gave up 21 points and then kind of had to score two touchdowns to put the game away. So even Ryan Day's got something to, to yell at the Buckeyes about this week. I, I don't really know what Iowa's coaches are going to fixate on uh, heading into week two here because – um, I, I thought, and even the slower pace and start, I mean, I was not an up-tempo team. They don't blow you away with their, you know, uh, athletic big play ability. So that's not much different than how most, how, how Iowa starts in pretty much any game against any opponent, any year, um, any season. You know, the tackling can be a little ragged. Um, I'll tell you this, I watched, I, I, I might have watched bits to all of more than two dozen games this weekend. And tackling was terrible everywhere. You know, there's, there's less and less contact going on in fall camps now, um, less and less two-a-days. Uh, you know, there's so much more babying your, your team to get into the season and then you just kind of just throw them out there after they've been hitting dummies and you just hope they kind of get it. So I wouldn't read too much into that either. That was, that was pretty systemic everywhere I – I looked across the landscape over this weekend. I mean, Northwestern's tackling against Stanford, for example, was, was in a word, atrocious. I'm sure Pat Fitzgerald, um, it, it, you know, feels like um, he's got to make alms to the football gods for the way his team didn't tackle on Saturday. So overall, I, I mean, if, if you're an Iowa fan, you have to be very, very pleased. Now, what it means going forward it will be fascinating and, and you know, we're going to do a over week one overreaction or just reaction podcast for, for Bigger Ten this week. And, you know, you and I, this isn't our first rodeo. We, we've been doing this uh, together since 2000. And we have seen years where it looked like Iowa could do no wrong and they didn't do anything significant. And then there have been years where, you know, Iowa got out of there by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin and, you know, one Big Ten championship. So I always caution fans to um, be, be careful about what you think a week one means. And it's, it's almost impossible not to overreact. We don't get a game for eight and a half months. Right. And this is the first piece of evidence we get after months of, of speculation and game theory and projecting. It's, it's impossible not to overreact. So now you're just trying not to overreact to your overreaction, you know? So, but um, if, if you ask me to sum this up in a word after that five-minute monologue, the word I would use would be promising. 
We'll pause right here for a sponsor break. Be back shortly. Want to work part-time hours and make $14.50 an hour? Perishable Distributors of Iowa, PDI, a high V company, they're hiring immediately for their warehouse located in Ankeny. Part-time warehouse selectors build their own schedule. They offer year-round part-time employment working evenings and weekends. Starting wage of $14.50 per hour plus opportunities for incentives. Apply online today at contact PDI. If you like a flexible schedule, being physically active in a fast-paced environment where you're rewarded for the hard work you do, this is the job for you. Apply today at contactpdi.com. As I've gotten farther and farther from the end of that game, and I've watched it again, I feel even better than I felt when I recorded the Instant Reaction podcast. Because as I was going through the statistics, as I was looking at the number of wide receiver targets, as I was recounting Makai Sargent and how different he looked in this game than he did last year. This looks like a guy who's been in the program now for, you know, this is his second fall camp and he went through a whole out of season in spring ball. Everything slowed down for him. His footwork was better. Um, clearly, they're going to use him in the passing game. He was the leading rusher and leading receiver. He's a he's a good threat for them. They have five legitimate receiving targets for the first time. I, I think really it's the first time in the Ferentz era, Steve. I was I've I've been racking my brain to think when they've had five guys that I feel good about in the same crew, and I mean obviously. Mo Brown was great. C.J. Jones was good. You know, C.J. Jones on any other team other than the 2002 team, I don't know that he's remembered as fondly as he is. Um, But take away the tight ends. This is as deep as I think that they've had in the Ferentz era at receiver. And you get 20 targets in that group. Obviously, you have to kind of do that because you don't have Noah Fant, you don't have T.J. Hawkins, but man, it's not like they're just going to five receivers. Um, Oliver Martin can do some damage. Brandon Smith can do some damage. Amir Smith-Marset can hurt you. Uh, Nico Regani looks real good, and he's been talked about since fall camp, and Tyrone Tracy has yet to fire too many shots, but each of those guys caught a pass, and Tracy is dangerous as well. They have two very dangerous quick twitch guys. Don't know if you want to count Oliver Martin in that as well, but they've got playmakers in that facet of the game. So it's fascinating is is probably a a right term that you used because what Iowa – may be able to do, and I'm not sitting here saying we're going to harken back to Chuck Long in the mid-1980s or Chuck Hartley, and I was going to start throwing like crazy. I'm talking about more than just attempting to be competent in the passing game, mm-hmm. where the passing game can actually lead the way. And I saw a lot of encouraging things. Stanley, 70% completions, that, that's good. The one long throw that he had to Nico Regani, if he would have hit Regani in stride, he scores a touchdown. Instead, Regani had to kind of wait a little bit and then got dragged down at the four. That doesn't hurt you against Miami, but it could against Wisconsin if you get dragged down at the four and you don't punch it in and you only get three instead of seven. So some, some ball placement. And I know some people are pissed off that I tweeted about that. He threw for 70%, John. What do you want? I just don't want to keep seeing the same things I saw as a sophomore is all. And Stanley has a chance to be one of the greats. 
and accuracy is going to be a part of it. But he did far more good than not last night. I mean, that was that was fantastic for him. That was his second best game, I think, completion percentage that he had, 21 of 30 for 252 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Hey, not going to kick the guy out of bed. And, Steve, you bring up a good point relative to what went on around the rest of the conference this weekend. This was the – I don't even know what the right term – it was the most week one of any week one I can remember happening in week one, almost every college football game that I saw this weekend. I mean, Bama was leading 14-3 at halftime. They looked human. You have Florida State losing at home to Boise State. You had Tennessee doing whatever it was that they were doing, just an absolute train wreck. You had Wyoming kicking Missouri's butt. So we're not just talking Big Ten Conference, but more locally – there was a lot of meh out there. A let, me, lot of- let, me, let me put some data to what you were the games you just mentioned, for example. I've never seen a week one like this. And I mean, I lost three games this week, John, by a half point. That's how tight these lines were. I lost three games by a half point. I mean, like, how the hell did they have the Coastal Carolina Eastern Michigan line right? That was six and a half by Eastern Michigan and Eastern Michigan won by seven. I mean, so this was not, there were a lot of bad beats all over the weekend. Some crazy numbers, Missouri and Wyoming, Missouri opened that game opened up at 14 and a half. It had been bet up a full three points. And Missouri is not a public team. That's not a team that generates public, public money. So those were professional handicappers. I mean, Missouri, that was one of my best bets last week as well. Um, Missouri, so that's where, that's a line, Missouri's line doesn't get moved up three points because Missouri fans are betting. It's a bet moved up because professional handicappers are betting that. And when they lose that game, 34 to 17, so a terrible Wyoming team that lost virtually everybody from last year. And then its best defensive player got out injured for the rest of the year in camp. Uh, what happened with Nevada and Purdue, that's one of the worst meltdowns in real time I have ever seen, ever, in a college football game. I mean, where you have 300 more yards than your opponent, and you're up 31 to 14 with six minutes left and commit five turnovers and then lose the game. I've never, I've just never seen something like that. Um, uh, you mentioned Tennessee, Georgia State. Tennessee was a 26 and a half point favorite. Georgia State was two and 10 last year. And, um, uh, they go in there and beat Tennessee straight up. And what's going to be your, your really early leader in the clubhouse for biggest point spread upset of the season. I don't know that we'll get a game this year that will top that. Now, Nebraska tried. South Alabama outscored Nebraska's offense. If it wasn't for three defensive – if you had Nebraska's defense special teams in your college fantasy right. league, you probably won because they got three touchdowns. Otherwise, they lost that game. You know, and they were a 35-point favorite, one of the biggest favorites of the weekend. And, they, and they, they barely won that game. So there was a lot of that going on around the country, a lot of absolutely crazy results. Um, and, and this is also why we've got to be careful about – I always, to me, when you have an established program like in Iowa, you're, if I'm an Iowa fan – let me give you some objective, well, as objective as I can be because I'm not an Iowa fan, all right? But no, no human being is objective. But, so as objective as I can be, self-scout your own team. So you're not so much concerned. Like, I don't know, Michigan State didn't learn, learn anything 
by holding Tulsa to minus 73 rushing yards. Tulsa was a terrible rushing team coming into the game. Michigan State was the number one rush defense last season in the country. At the end of last year, Michigan State gave up five touchdowns in the offensive touchdown or four offensive touchdowns in the final five games in the year, and they still lost three of those games. So that doesn't help. That, that doesn't tell Michigan State anything. If you're a Sparty fan, what you're looking at is we only ran for 108 yards against Tulsa. See, this is what I'm trying. This, this is why it's not so much what you what Miami of Ohio did when you're playing that kind of team. You're self-scouting right now. So if I'm an Iowa fan, here's what I'm excited about. We showed a propensity to be able to do what it, it, it looks like we're going to have to be able to do, but we in this case, if I'm speaking in third person, is an Iowa. Um, it, 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 so if I, this, I'm channeling Iowa fans. This is what I would be excited about. We showed a propensity and a proficiency, so an ability and then a capability to do what is, what is the outlier thing we haven't been able to do many years that we're going to need to demonstrate against an outlier, abnormally difficult schedule. Uh, that we had to, we have to, we're going to have to throw something new in here. Um, because the previous, let's just beat, you know, play every week to 21-17, ain't going to cut it against that road schedule. You're going you're to have to be able to get to 28, 31 points most of these weeks. So what is it that, that means we got to create more variance? That, that's either going to come one of two ways. We're going to be more aggressive on defense and try to create more turnovers, but that may leave us more susceptible to big plays. Or we're going to have to be more explosive and offensively. We're going to have to be able to get chunk plays. We're going to have to be able to get guys deep. You know, you mentioned Oliver Martin. I don't think he's a quick twitch guy. He's not a white possession receiver either. He's a very fast player. He's just a straight-ahead speed guy. So that's not a guy you put in the slot in a spread offense like Michigan has. He needs to be actually more of an outside kind of a receiver, all right, where he has taught how to run very crisp routes, get out of his break. He's got, so he's, a, he's very fast. He's just not a quick twitch guy. You know, like a Julian Edelman's white, that's a quick twitch guy. He's also not very fast. Oliver Merton's probably faster than Julian Edelman. Uh, but one guy's a quick twitch guy, and one guy is, is, a, is, a, is more of a strider that you can throw the ball down the field to. Um, but so that's what, I'm, that's what I'm looking for. Like, for, if, I'll give you an example for me as a Michigan fan. Michigan knows what it is. What Michigan's trying to do is, can we develop an offense that, that when we – when we want to take that next step and join the, Mich- the Alabamas, Clemsons, Oklahomas, Ohio State, Georgias, you know, are we explosive enough offensively that we can go from that, you know, we're, we're right now in that, you know, kind of uh, nine to ten win tier. Or, or can, can, we, can we develop that offense to get to that next level? So as a Michigan fan, that's what I'm looking for in these first two early games against Middle Tennessee and Army. If you're an Iowa fan, in many respects, you're kind of in the same, you're looking at kind of the same thing. Have we shown a propensity and a proficiency that there's an outlier to our normal style of play that, that shows that we might be able to stand up against what is a historically difficult schedule for Iowa to play on the road? And I think that they showed that about as well as could possibly have been expected in week one. Now, this is always the caveat with week one. You know, and you never know how good or how terrible a team will be. 
You know, we don't know if Miami of Ohio is going to go two and 10 or they're going to win that division in the Mac. We have no way of knowing, you know? Um, uh, so, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, Iowa put on a great defensive performance in week one against Josh Allen in Wyoming, but he wasn't, he ended up not being really good that year. And, um, and, and actually was injured much of the season after that. I remember in 2004, Iowa went down and played Miami of Ohio and damn near lost. You know, it turned out that team, that was their only loss that year. If I remember, I think they were on 13-1. That was Ben Roethlisberger's last year. That ended up being a really good win, you know. So you don't know, and that's always the danger in blowing up your team negatively or positively for a season after week one. All right, for Purdue, it's not that they lost to Nevada. It's the way that they lost. They still don't have a running game. They, you know, Sindelar uh, still makes some boneheaded turnover decisions. Um, they, they still commit terrible penalties at the worst time. So week one, unless you're Oregon, Auburn, Florida, Miami, um, you know, you're playing that caliber of an opponent. Week one is for self-scouting. And I think this week, the self-scout for Iowa is pretty good. Yeah, in a week where a lot of people struggled, um, Iowa – Iowa averaged 5.2 yards a carry. You know that they wanted to work on the run. One of the two things you, we talked about late last week that I wanted to see, and I talked about it on the Hawkeye Nation radio show on Thursday night on KXNO, um, you know, Andrew Downs asked me, you know, what are the things you want to see? And I said, I want to see the receivers get involved. I want to see Nate Stanley getting on the same page with the receivers because they're going to need to do that this year. And I'm going to want to see the interior of Iowa's offensive line get the job done and look more than just competent. And they did. And Iowa, Iowa shuffled a lot of offensive line looks because Alaric Jackson went down with an injury in the first half. Now, Kirk Ferentz saying today uh, on HawkeyeSports.com that – the injury is not as serious as they feared. He'll be out, you know, it'll be, you know, a matter of weeks and not the season. Now, whether how many weeks that is, I don't know. But, man, every offensive lineman they threw in there was really competent. And Tyler Linderbaum, the redshirt freshman center, that kid was – he's just nasty. He is mean, and he's really, really good. So, I really liked what I saw um, – you know, some people over on the defensive side of thing, there were some fans that were a little concerned that Epinesa didn't, you know, have highlight real sacks. He was double. I get used to that. I would get used to that. Yeah, he was. And we've double- been warning you on this podcast. This was coming all off season. Yeah. You know, fans like fans took a look at his. This is how a fan will think. All right, and I don't blame you. You know, that's you're a fan, not an analyst. Well, he didn't start last year. He got ten and a half sacks or sacks. So, you know, prorate that. He's going to play 60% more snaps. You don't realize there's a law of diminishing returns. You don't realize that last year he wasn't on anybody's scouting report at all when Iowa had one of its deepest defensive fronts returning of the Ference era, and he was barely on anyone's scouting report. They were, they were able to use him situationally. So he's always coming in fresh. His only job is, hey, you're coming off the edge like a bat out of hell, man. And that's what you're doing in passing situations. Now he's got to be an anchor. Now he's got to hold his water against the run. Now he's got to take on double teams to free other people. We warned everybody about this all off season. In fact, you gave me a true an over under several months ago. on you know, will AJ Epinesa have 10 and a half sacks again? And I said under for these very reasons. And you agreed with me. So 
um, and you know, we we tried to warn people about this throughout the course of the season. And and by the way, if his, if he keeps showing a willingness to take that on on film, that will actually enhance his NFL draft stock all the more. The the the, the notion that he is not just a one trick pony, but is willing to be a three down uh, a three down player. Scheme versatility, as Mike Mayock used to call it on NFL Network, not great for your you know for you know for winning Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, but it looks really good on your NFL resume tape. Yeah, and, and that's where I was getting to was that double team most of the snaps either with two guys and or chips. And right from the get-go, I could see it and it brought a smile to my face. Where he has struggled his first two years when he's been in in non-third down situations is the containment responsibility, setting that outside edge. Don't just be one speed, which means go get quarterback. It means you need to read and first control your assignment, which is to contain on the outside. I saw him doing it, and I was chuckling because I could just hear Parker Hesse whispering in his ear. He did his job. There were instances where he'd take a half step to come in, but then he'd stop. He'd see something and stop. That guy learned a ton this last offseason, and they did not run at his side very much, even with the double teams. And that's only going to be good things for this defense if that continues this season, especially if he continues to be disciplined in his containment assignment responsibilities. Just, I thought it was fantastic. Um, last thing before we go, Iowa plays against Rutgers next week. And I, I watched some of that game. I went and did some on-demand and, and, and also watched the highlights. I don't think that Rutgers um, is all that great. Their opponent – UMass certainly is not, but I will say they've got some playmakers. That uh, Pacheco, their running back, that guy has really quick feet. Very, he accelerates very, very quickly. Good burst, good wiggle. He's a dangerous, slippery kind of running back. Uh, their quarterback Carter, um, he faced. He faced very little pressure in that game. It was a lot of pitch and catch, throw it up. But I would, he throws a nice deep ball. It's a pretty deep ball. Gets up there and turns over for him. And they've got some playmakers at wide receiver in Blackshear and Melton. Um, but it looked like Carter was forcing quite a few throws. So it's going to be a little more pressure on him next week. But this is a Rutgers team, at least offensively. I think they've got some playmakers that can bite you. We'll pause right here for a sponsor break. Be back shortly. Hey, Hawkeye Nation, right now at Flooring America, save store-wide on beautiful, long-lasting floors like high-performance, resistive carpets and waterproof luxury vinyl. Plus, buy with 36 months, interest-free financing now at Flooring America in Clive, Ankeny, and Mason City. Well, you look at what the way that game played out against UMass, and, and UMass is, is one of the worst FBS programs right now. Um, they got gutted by graduation. Uh, their coach, Mark Whipple, moved on. He's an offensive coordinator somewhere now. I can't remember where. But um, they're even thinking of dropping down to FCS. There's been some chatter about that. So, again, we've got to keep in perspective who the opponent was. Right. But a couple of promising things for Rutgers. One, they were down 21-7 to in that game. And when, when you come in with the longest losing streak in college football at 11, and you're down 21-7, to 
give them some credit, man. Give the young men and Chris Ash and that staff some credit because that, that could already be a case where you start looking down at your jersey, as I used to say, and you're like, yep, says Rutgers, shut her down, <laughs> right? I mean, you're, you're, you've lost 11 in a row, and you're down 21-7 to a terrible team. Terrible. I mean, so they scored 40 unanswered. When was the last time Rutgers scored 40 unanswered in a spring scrimmage against its own scrubs, okay? 40 unanswered. That's an impressive answer for Rutgers. McLean Carter uh, won the, the job at Texas Tech a couple of years ago and then got hurt. And then they brought in a young guy that Pro Football Focus just loves named Alan Bowman, love his efficiency numbers, and, and McLean never got the job back. So you know that given where he's coming from, he, he is, um, he's, he's proficient in terms of understanding passing concepts, defenses, getting rid of the ball quickly, et cetera. You mentioned force some throws. He's probably got a, a license to do that given who they are. They, they recognize they've got to take some chances where that's concerned. So I, I think this will be actually a, a, a decent tune-up in, in, to what you're going to see the following week from Iowa State. Now, you know, with a bye, that was a weird game Iowa State played. It really was. I, I, it was not like any of the other – it had none of the stuff you typically see in an FCS upset or an FCS scare. They did not turn the ball over two or three times. They, they didn't get like 11 penalties. They doubled them in yardage. I think this wasn't Minnesota giving, you know, getting destroyed on right. the line of scrimmage. I think Northern Iowa had 34 yards rushing on 31 carries. That's exactly what they had. I, I mean, they, this, they, did, they didn't do anything. What, what they had was that little jitterbug quarterback from Des Moines Lincoln ran around a few times and just pulled crap out of his rectum. And Iowa State just, and, and, you know, and then here's what you saw if you watched Iowa State. You see a team that actually looks a lot like a lot of Iowa teams. A lot of really good players. I don't, I don't agree that Iowa State's offensive line was terrible at all. I don't. I mean, I don't think it was great, but it wasn't a great offensive line coming in. I mean, they put up almost 500 yards of offense. The offensive line wasn't the problem. You know, there's one really good rush in for Northern Iowa that Iowa State had struggles with, and if you want to say that could not bode well with A.J. Epinesa, I think that's absolutely possible. But the rest of their offensive line did a pretty good job. I mean, they had to switch to a center in triple overtime and the dude just came right down and started just plowing holes like it was nothing. I don't think their offensive line played bad at all. Their defensive front was pretty damn good. I mean, all those guys lived up to their billing. What they lack, though, is they, they lack an alpha. They got a lot of really good players, but they don't have the one guy that can get you the strip sack off the edge on defense. They, they don't have the one guy – who takes the 10 yard slant to the house like Hakeem Butler. And, and I think that's what you saw on Saturday with Iowa State is there was about 17 opportunities for them to make a play that would have altered the momentum of that game the rest of the way or ended the game. And they just didn't have the guy that could do that. Right. And, and I think it'll be that could somewhat play to their advantage when they get into conference play, like it has for Iowa over the years where they kind of know their identity while the other team is kind of trying to force, force the action. But 
Um, that is something that uh, if, if they're going to get to the next step as a program from an eight and four team, they've been the last two years to, can we disrupt Oklahoma or Texas playing for the big 12 championship? They're going to have to figure out who those guys are because other than that, if they don't, they're still kind of going to kind of be an eight and four team. But that, if you, if, if I would warn Iowa fans, that's not, you know, Minnesota ought to be far more concerned Agreed. than Iowa State. Because oh. Iowa State, you, know, you could just see the look on Matt Campbell's face. He's like, this should not be happening. <laughs> I mean, we're not, we're not really doing anything bad. I didn't think their play calling on offense was great, by the way. But they, they weren't out there just, you know, with free rushers and, and, and not, you know, this, this didn't look like the other games Northern Iowa has either beaten or scared Iowa State. Just my, just my thought. Nope, I totally agree with you. Um, also agree, you know, don't know that there's a David Montgomery yet and don't know that there's a Hakeem Butler yet. And that yet might turn into there's not. Uh, if they had those two guys, I mean, shoot, that's a team that sure. uh, I think would be the second best team in the Big 12 and, and would be absolutely a threat for a significant January bowl game. Right now, well, Desha- don't the, know the, who Deshante, they are. The Deshante Jones line tells you, tells you all. When you're a Big 12 receiver catching 14 passes – you, you ought to be putting up Des Bryant kind of numbers in the big, as a Big 12 receiver. And that kind of an offense, he put up 14 catches for 126 yards. Nine yards. Not 14, sex, not 14 catches for 246 yards. All right? So that gives you an idea that they really struggled to stretch the field vertically in that game. And so I would imagine with two weeks to go, that's going to be their focus for Iowa. And and. That sort of Texas Tech dink and dunk kind of passing game, uh, you'll see McLean Carter use a lot of that for Rutgers this weekend, and it will be a good warm-up for, for Iowa for, I think, what they'll see against Iowa State. Yeah, one last thing on Iowa. They abandoned the cash very early. Um, Amani Hooker was really, really good. Really, really good. And they don't have one of those right now in that cast position. So Iowa mostly went 4-3. So we'll see how that evolves as well uh, this mm-hmm. next week against Rutgers because they made that move to be able to hang with teams that want to put more wide receiver personnel in the field and not cover them with linebackers. Uh, so we'll see how long that goes. That will wrap up this installment of the HN Podcast. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.